we've got two Bible readings this morning. The first one's from Ezekiel, an Old Testament book, chapter 36. Ezekiel was a prophet writing many years before Jesus came, but looking forward to the coming days of salvation when God would pour out his spirit. So Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 22. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Now, second readings from Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. starting at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Good morning, everyone. If you're new amongst us, my name's Tim. I'm part of the pastoral staff. It's great to see you. I'd love to speak to you face-to-face, up close, not too up close, but up close and personal after the service at morning tea. Okay, so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Um, We've got a disciple. He comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus to teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Jesus. And that's a, that's a great question. And it kind of makes sense because he's probably observed Jesus pray a lot. Um, you see in Luke's Gospel, Jesus will take time out deliberately to pray. Um, he even says that he's observed that John the Baptist, another famous religious person in the Bible in that era, he's been praying. And look, the culture as we know it, the Jewish religious culture was a praying culture. So If you're seeing someone like Jesus pray, it's probably quite a natural question to ask. Teach us to pray. Um, It's interesting that Jesus kind of shifts the the focus of the question with his whole answer. So rather than teaching how to pray, we'll see that Jesus spends most of his time in his answer speaking about who you pray to. So Jesus wants to shift the focus. Any talk of how do we pray, for Jesus is a focus more on who you pray to. So the how to pray is all bound up in who you actually pray to. Often when we think about prayer, we might focus mainly on technique. Um, It might be what this guy's thinking about. How do I pray better? And we, we have books that we sell and read. I've read plenty of these. Um, techniques, patterns, um, how to pray with passion and fervor um, and more sort of focus as you pray, um, persistence, regularity. They're all the things that we often think about. But Jesus wants us to focus more on who it is we pray to. And right up front, let, let's just register that he, he says that we pray to the Father, the Father God. At the start of his response in verse... 2, 
you see that he addresses God as Father. And then at the end of this response, verse 13, you see that he's talking about God as Father. So we're going to go through this passage in two sections. We'll look firstly at what is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's commonly known as that. So we'll have a look at a couple of lines in that, uh, all of the lines in that. And then the second section, this quirky story that Jesus tells about a friend knocking on the door of another friend at midnight. Both of these sections show us who it is that we pray to. And it may be that for many of us, we've forgotten who it is that we pray to. We pray to God, but maybe we've forgotten how God is our Father and what that means. So we'll have a look at that and be reminded of that. Um, Or it may be that some of us have had this perception of God and to, to kind of pray to him with this profound, deep, intimate relationship where you view him as a father might be entirely new. This is going to be wonderful to look at as we see how Jesus, God's own son, encourages us to know who God is as Father as we pray. So come with me to the first verse. Let's have a look at each line um, that Jesus uh, says in this prayer before the disciples. So in verse 2, he says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So we address God as Father, and we're asking. Each one of these lines is asking God as Father to do something. And here, the first request is that we ask God to hallow his name. And that's a bit of an old kind of word. Um, It means to honour his name. We want God to sanctify, honour, glorify his name. That's the first thing that we ask. And it's a profound thing to ask. Because if if we pause and think about it, um, this is not natural. We do not naturally honour God's name, give him the utmost honour and want to see the glory of his name throughout the earth. Um, this This is the profound problem with all of humanity, isn't it? Which the Bible tells us that Humanity is such that although we know God, we have, we have rejected him and we want to blaspheme and mar his name across the universe. Um, we read a passage just now in Ezekiel 36 and we see that one of God's great promises way back when was that he was going to do something with this problem. He was going to bring about in humanity the ability to honour his name. Did you pick up when Haley was reading from Ezekiel 36 how God says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations. Not just the world, but even God's special people that he called out once upon a time, Israel, even they could not master this. And so he speaks to them, the name you have profaned amongst these nations. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Jesus is urging us as our first 
request as we direct ourselves towards the Father in heaven is that he will deliver on this very promise that he said he would give. And that is awesome. That is, you know, for this first line, which sometimes we just say really quickly, this is huge. This is God dealing with our biggest problem, making his name holy. So we, we, are, we are asking God that he might make in us a nature such that we honour his name. And in doing that, if we keep reading all these big promises through, say, Ezekiel and other passages, in doing that, we find the fulfilment of all existence, what it means to be human, satisfaction and enjoying God in a brand new world. That is actually what we are asking our Heavenly Father for. That is the best that we could ask. And Jesus says, ask. Um, Notice how this passage also shows us, this is the Ezekiel passage, that the number one goal um, is beyond our own personal transformation, as good as that is. Our personal transformation comes from God being glorified. That is the ultimate goal. And God, our Heavenly Father, is so good that that feeds back into us having the most blessed and enjoyed life. That is a huge thing that we are praying. And Jesus says, go to God as your Father and ask him for that. That is what he'll deliver on. The next line, we are to ask that his kingdom comes. And it's kind of similar. It's asking for the same thing. But here, I take it that the language of kingdom just picks up on all that God has promised in the Old Testament of making the world again such that he is identified as ruler and everyone knows that. That is something yet to come about in its fullness and we are to pray to that. Again, in the passage that Haley read for us, um, there was some language. Did you pick up that God was saying, and when I honour my name as holy, uh, when I cause you to honour my name as holy, then I'll rebuild. There was language of rebuild, rebuild, restore, flourish. He even references Eden. Like Eden in the beginning, we're going back there and then we're taking it to where it was meant to go, the entire world. That is what it is to pray for God's kingdom come. And Jesus says, ask God for that and he is going to deliver. So just at that, that's an awesome prayer list so far, right? Um, I was watching the news last night and I thought, oh, this is interesting because a little news snippet came on about a, a lady, a nun in South Australia who is a rock star or was a rock star so she passed away a few weeks ago, and so the news story was just saying they went to her memorial and she was laid to rest. And so they, her name was Sister Janet Mead, I think. And she, some people are nodding. Uh, this was before I was even born, 1974, I think. Um, but I have, look, I used to work in radio and I have played the song. So the thing is, she, she is a nun put to rock music the Lord's Prayer, and it went gangbusters around the world. It, look, for those who know the era, 
um, she actually went up against Elvis Presley for a Grammy. This is a, this is a rock star nun from South Australia up against Elvis Presley for a Grammy in 1974 because she, she popularised to rock music, The Lord's Prayer. And they played footage and she's dancing around on stage in a habit, singing The Lord's Prayer. Um, it, it was a, it's before Sister Act, Act, if you've seen that movie. This, this is the real Sister Act unfolding. So maybe, maybe YouTube, Lord's Prayer, rock stuff. But here's the thing, I was looking at it and I was going, oh, you know, good, good on her. Because she um, raised a lot of money and she, she was for God and she gave it to charity and wanted to spend her life helping um, less fortunate people for the glory of God. But uh, it resonated with me. This, this is what I think happens to a lot of us who are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, is that it can just become throwaway lines, right? Because maybe you learnt it at, by rote um, if you went through... I know I went to a Catholic school when I was younger, so we said it every morning. Um, maybe, maybe you've just heard it a lot, right? And so it's easy to bounce through these lines, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, as we're trying to pray. Hopefully, as we've just paused for a little while, we see how huge these prayer requests actually are. Um, let us not just leave them as throwaway lines because they've been popularised. These are massive requests that... Jesus says, your heavenly Father is going to answer and give to you, so come to him and ask. The next line, verse 3, says, ask for your daily bread, um, or some translations say, ask for the bread of tomorrow. I think once we have that frame, that this is a big prayer and God's big plans, to ask for our daily bread is much more than simply asking for whatever needs we have. Um, God invites us to ask for all things and to put all of our concerns and requests before him. Yet in, in this prayer, I wonder if the tone of asking for your daily bread is to ask for those things that are going to get you to be part of the kingdom, that are going to uh, enable us to survive the journey. Just like you had the Israelites who needed bread each day in order to make it to the promised land, one of the Old Testament stories, we, we too, as we wait for the fullness of God's kingdom to come, should ask God for all those things that we might need in order to survive the journey and make it, to make it to the end. And Jesus says, ask God for them. He's going to give them to you because he's your heavenly father. Verse 4, there's another request. We ask that God might forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Again, another big prayer. This is asking for God to do the thing he promised a long time ago that he would do that would trigger it all. Forgive our sins. Like Ezekiel 36, there's other big passages that are, you could call them the big promise passages of God, where he says, this is what I will do in the future. These are the things we are asking for. So another one is Jeremiah 31, wonderful chapter. Um, God says, I'm going to do a brand new thing with humanity, give them a new heart, and it's all going to be triggered 
because he will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So when we pray this prayer, we are asking God to do that big thing that he said that will trigger it all, forgive our sins. And that flows on into us forgiving others. These last two lines of the, the Lord's Prayer can, can, can sound a little bit um, back to front sometimes to maybe what we're thinking of. So we, forgive, we ask God to forgive our sins for he, for, and then we say to him, because we are forgiving everyone else. Now, we might think, is that, is that kind of a tit-for-tat thing that's going on or we, you know, we have to pull the lever of showing God, look, I forgive people and then... God will forgive us. Um, well, that kind of runs counter to all that we know in the Bible, so we've got to come up with another way of reading that. Um, I suggest that here, as God forgives our sins, it naturally flows on that we forgive others. That as we experience we forgive others, we know that we have been forgiven. If, we're not, if we do not know our own need before God, that we need his forgiveness and come to him in repentance, then we're surely not going to forgive someone that comes up to us who has wronged us and is in need of our forgiveness. This prayer asks God for his forgiveness, recognising that that flows on to us having the ability to forgive others. And lastly, the last line, we ask, Jesus says, Ask your heavenly Father that he will lead us not into temptation. Again, it's a, a little bit tricky. Um, I had a, a couple of contexts this week where we were looking at this passage and a few people were talking about it and asking me, well, it sounds like maybe it's possible God could lead us into temptation and are we asking him not to do that? Um, yeah, and I get that. And I was thinking about it. I think the way to, to read this is, you know how sometimes to make a statement in a forceful kind of way, we will often, will often say, we will often negate the negative of the positive we're trying to reinforce. Does that sound confusing? Definitely does, yeah. Fear not. We do it all the time, right? And I'm sure if I show you a few examples, you'll know what I mean. So, this isn't rocket science. What is someone actually saying, even though they are negating something as they make that statement? It's easy. Down the front, we've got, it's easy. Bring. All right, let's do a few more. Um, I can't argue with that. What's someone saying if they say, I can't argue with that? Sorry, a bit louder because I'm hearing through masks. It's, I agree, it's true. Yep, cool. Um, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> well, that's unintelligent, but then the, the, they might have confused things more. Um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What's someone saying? He's similar. 
So we do this all the time, right? So when we get to lead us not into temptation, what are we, what's being said? Lead us away. Lead us away from temptation. We do this all the time. Um, so we don't need to be too worried about, is this going to the heart of the character of God? Or have we got that confused? God is someone who will definitely lead us away from temptation as we ask. Um, what a wonderful prayer list, hey? Um, and prayer list is probably the wrong heading for it. It's, it's to pray for the things God has promised that he will give us, our Heavenly Father. So that's the first section, the little prayer that Jesus models for us, showing us who it is we are actually praying to, the God who has promised all these wonderful things for us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell a little quirky story that starts in verse 5 to, to make sure that us and the disciples listening understand who it is that God um, is that we pray to. Jesus really wants us to see that the type of father that God is. And so he tells this story. It starts in verse 5. Um, he says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Now, just, just to pick up how he starts the story. Suppose you have a friend. Um, one of the things with translations is you know, sometimes just little words can make you sort of think one way versus another way. Um, and so the problem with this story is that we've got to figure out, is, is Jesus telling this story to, to make us compare God with? Like, is God going to be like this friend in the house? Um, or is he different? So is it a comparing story or a contrast story? Um, I reckon in the NIV, suppose you have a friend, kind of leads you to thinking that this... This is a similar, like the story is about how God is similar. Um, there's some other translations out there, like the good old King James Version, which says, who amongst you has a friend? And that kind of sets up a rhetorical question, where we're, we're all sitting, you're meant to go, no one has a friend like this. So it's just like further down in verse um, 11, where Jesus says, which of you fathers? So Jesus puts up a question, who amongst you has a friend like this? And the answer is, in our minds is meant to be, well, no one does. This is an outrageous story. And so the story is that there's, there's one friend who goes to another friend in the middle of the night and says, lend me three loaves for I've got another friend that has come on a journey to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, the friend inside the house says, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. Now that's no friend, is it? You know, he rejects his friend's need in the middle of the night. That's no friend at all. This is an outrageous story to contrast this really ordinary friend with the awesomeness and the type of God that God is towards us. 
Now, this is a culture that was, you know, the Jewish culture is full of hospitality and stuff, so it was kind of a given that if someone knocks in the middle of the night, that's kind of just what you did. Here in Australia, we're much, we're likely to call triple O or something like that, but, you know, they were much more, let's get out there and help someone, even if it's in the middle of the night. So this particular person, even as a friend, is really, really ordinary. He's not even going to get up. And Jesus has already set up in our minds the image that when we think of God as our Heavenly Father, God is someone who will bounce out of bed straight away. If we come to him, he is going to bounce out of bed and respond to us straight away. God is completely different to this hopeless friend in this outrageous story. And he surely isn't a friend because he doesn't get up because of friendship. You see that in verse 8. Jesus says that this fella, even though he is a friend, he does not get up. That's not the reason he gets up. He's no friend at all. In the end, the only reason he gets up, the tail end of verse 8, is because of your shameless audacity. At that point, because you're knocking in the middle of the night, yelling out, he will get up and give you as much as you need. The so-called friend in the story doesn't get up because he's your friend. He gets up in the end because he's embarrassed what everyone's starting to think and he's worried about his own situation. That's the only reason he got up. He wants to shut this down. (laughs) You're yelling at the top of your voice or making a bit of noise on the door. He wants to shut this down. This is so embarrassing. That is the only reason he gets up. But for us, Jesus wants us to think of, for God, he's going to bounce out of bed and our coming to him at any time, he's never going to consider embarrassing or inappropriate. Let us, let us grasp that, that for us to come to our Heavenly Father, there is no inopportune time. God is willing and wanting and he will bounce out of bed. Um, I know um, for some of us we have done some work from home during the lockdown, you know, where you've had to relocate to the home office. And if you've got family at home, um, I know when I did some long stints at home, you inevitably have little kids interrupting you. In fact, you can have lots of people interrupting you. They just come in, swoop into your office... They want to show you something, talk to you about something. And you do fine within yourself, you know, and we're, we're like, this, this, is a, this is an interruption. This is in the way. I'm trying to go a certain direction. Not so with God. Never is there an interruption when it comes to asking God and approaching our Heavenly Father. Jesus wants us to know that. Anytime without hesitation, and don't feel embarrassed. In verse 9, Jesus goes on to say, because of this story and because God is so different to this really ordinary friend, ask, know this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Again, 
God is so different. We are not a pesky interruption to God. If we knock, he will open. A lot of bosses actually always say, please know this, my, my door is always open. <laughs> you laugh, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's not so true a lot of the time. And this is not directed at you at all, Dave. Your door's always open. But we've all had that experience with some bosses. You know, they like to say, I know this, my door is always open. Have you ever then tried to knock and get their attention? Sometimes they don't even eyeball you. They don't even look up. <clears throat> yeah, what do you want? Not so with God, never. If you knock, his door is always open. Anytime you will be heard, you will have your heavenly Father's attention. And this is wonderful because sometimes prayer is talked about in such a way that we have to kind of knock, 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 knock and keep knocking and knocking and knocking and maybe if we do it more and more, only then God, once he's seen that we've really, really knocked hard, will open the door. Jesus is saying something different here. We're to know that we have complete access straight away. Um, we don't have to be, you know, sometimes prayer is spoken of as like, you've got to be a prayer warrior and, and break through heaven as though there's all these barriers. Um, if you've had that kind of view, take wonderful encouragement and the invitation that Jesus is saying here that straight away God is going to hear you and respond. Come, to me, come with me to verse 11. Again, Jesus really wants us to see who God is. And so he, he does another little outrageous picture for us. Which of you have fathers that if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil... Um, I take it he means like because you're part of you know general humanity with all their problems and and struggles. Yet you know <laughs> a father never gives a bad gift. If that's the case, now how much more when you think of God, the perfect Father, who's in heaven and giving you good gifts? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our heavenly Father is the best Father. And he always gives good gifts. They are perfect gifts. He is so good and so perfect that he will actually not give us stuff that is harmful. We probably ask for lots of different things that on the one hand are harmful and we don't know yet. I know sometimes, once upon a time, I, I wanted a particular job and it was only like 15 years later that it dawned on me that would have been the worst thing if I got that. And yet I was on my knees praying for it. Um, you know, that's life. That's in time. Sometimes we align and see, but God sees it up front and he's, he's so good, he's never ever going to give us something that is not good for us. All his gifts are perfect and the best. 
they're the safest too. Um, I think that's, that's why we should pray, your will be done. As we put our prayer request to the Lord, your will be done because we're calling on God as he's the perfect one. He sees everything. He sees everything in its complexity and depth. Um, we can't see that. So put your requests before our Heavenly Father, knowing that He is perfect, looking for answers, but also um, knowing that He's never going to give us something that is for our harm. He's perfect, good, the best, the safest. Now, I raised up front at the start of this talk that it, it could be possible that this kind of view of God is, is not something you've had before. Um, maybe you do believe in God, you do see God, uh, you might even talk to him, but to talk to him in, in this intimate way where he's, he's safe, and maybe you're, because you've had this kind of view, you're, you're, you pray very tentatively or nervously, or you're trying to figure out what's the right words that will cause God to hear me. I trust that you're hearing Jesus say that your heavenly Father loves you and is going to give you the best and give you good gifts. So come to him. Come and ask. Come and ask and know that you will be heard. I've got a, a brother-in-law. So this is on Deb's side of the family. And he's a scary-looking dude. Um, he, you know, That's actually kind of flattering for him. <laughs> but... Normally, as you go about town with him, he looks like a biker dude. He's got tats. Um, he's got a stern face. He has a, a bike with the big handlebars. And years ago, we were down in Melbourne. There's a fancy street in, um, in Carlton called Ligon Street. And that's where all the restaurants are. And so you're, sort of, you're either uppity or you pretend to be uppity as you go and have a meal there. It's one of those ones that you look at the credit card afterwards and you go, ooh. We were down on that street, and um, he's got a little girl, little daughter, that's her. This is like probably 18 years ago. Um, and yes, it's from his genes. Uh, this little girl, Emma, so he's, he's Uncle Aaron, and this is, this is Emma. Um, she, she just got upset in the restaurant, and so Aaron grabbed her and, and went out to the car, and we were settling her down. I happened to be... Uh, shotgun with him, and I just remember distinctly everyone looking around going, this, this is wrong, he should not have. Uh, the way he looks, to have this little child with him, should we be calling triple O? You could just sense that, the way that they were looking. And here's the thing, he kind of had that perception, people were projecting this perception onto him based on whatever, but for little Emma, because she knew exactly who he was, her father, he was the safest person in the world for, him, for her. Um, and Jesus wants us to take um, good stories like that. I know that not every scenario is exactly like that. But Jesus says, look, look at the good stories and know that when it comes to God, how much more? God is your safe, perfect Father. Um, I've, I've underlined that a few times. I, 
I trust that you come to him today and this week knowing who he is. And lastly, we see that in the final verse, um, as Jesus has said that God gives all these wonderful good gifts, he's very clear that God will give... Oh, sorry, that's just a nice family photo. Here we go. I thought we went to blank. And blank. God will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask. Um, Now, if we've been watching the prayer, as we have, that Jesus gave us up front, this takes us full circle. Because our Heavenly Father, who knows the best and gives us the perfect best good gifts, tells us that the best thing that we can have is His Spirit within bringing about all these promises that he has spoken of, some of which we have read, some of which Haley even uh, echoed, as you said, that this Valentine's Day and God's going to give us his spirit to create a new heart to the glory and honour of his name. Um, God determines what is good and Jesus is saying, God is so good that as your heavenly father, he's even telling you, What are the best things to pray for? He's such a good God. Pray for those and he will give them to us. They're the things that he will give us if we ask. So come, knock, seek, and you will definitely find. As we go through Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus himself uh, is God's son sent to die on the cross. And Luke... Jesus and Luke's gospel and another book that Luke writes, Acts, explains that because of Jesus' death on the cross, that's how forgiveness takes place and that is why God will then pour out his spirit upon us. Jesus offers us to pray this prayer fully knowing that he is God's solution to delivering it for us. Let me finish by just pulling together what we've looked at. This disciple comes up and asks, teach us to pray. How do we pray? It may be that he was after techniques to get it better. But Jesus shifted the whole focus that when it comes to praying, the number one thing we need to know is who God is. Pray to him. Knowing who he is is what will actually cause us to fall into asking for the things that he is going to give us. Um, Knowing that our Heavenly Father is good, gives the best gifts, will give the perfect gifts, will not give us anything harmful. Knowing who he is as our Father is actually what will motivate us to pray, is what will bring us to praying in a way where we know we will be heard and that he will answer us. Pray with me now. I'm going to pray these things, paraphrasing and personalising the very things that the Lord has given us here. Our Father, you are in heaven, and it is amazing that uh, from, from your view, from your perfect holiness, you are looking down on us and even coming to meet us in the Lord Jesus and by your Spirit. 
and through your word, bringing us back into your family where we will find our safety and our destiny to your glory and our absolute satisfaction. This is wonderful, Lord, and thank you for inviting us to pray for this and praying with confidence that it will take place. We already see that we have forgiveness in your spirit and have been included in your kingdom and see that your kingdom is being expanded and that there's people all around the world who are proclaiming your name and glorifying you. Uh, we, we long and we, we say, may your kingdom come, may the day come where that is to the ends of the earth and that there is not one living being that does not bow the knee and confess that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Uh, as we pray that, Lord, we recognise that we have found grace and inclusion um, despite ourselves, despite our, our sin. So that is why, Lord, we, we pray that your forgiveness might overflow to the many people that we know personally who do not yet know you. Uh, may they be included. May they find the spirit of forgiveness that you pour out and in turn forgive others. Forgive others as they proclaim the gospel. Uh, Lord, each day help us to live with these things. Give us what we need, perseverance, courage, um, hope, build our hope and faith to get us safely to the end. Uh, Lord, please do not... Uh, please do not lead us into temptation. Lead us away from the things that confuse us, trap us, get us stuck. Um, face us in the right direction, please, Lord. And we know elsewhere uh, your prayer also says, deliver us from the evil one, Satan, who is out to, to get us to squash your church. Uh, we pray these things, Lord. And thank you so much that we can come to you anytime. We know that right now you are hearing and even acting, acting for our good and bringing about the answer to this prayer. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, for it is through him, his blood, his name that we pray these things. Amen.